0: That's heritageradionetwork.org/15 to donate and enter to win today, and make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This week's meet and three is all about food branding and identity in 2020: the good, the bad, and the ugly. Everybody has some Goya product in their pantry. So obviously the biggest kind of loss from all of this is the students really working with a brand that they're very comfortable with, that they're very familiar with. I'll be honest, I was completely floored. I was very surprised that a company, especially in the current climate, would backtrack out of a commitment to address issues of racism. Tune in to meetin Three. HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Lisa Held, a food journalist and podcast host, presenting Behind the Label with American Humane. Produced by Heritage Radio Network for Springer Mountain Farms, this podcast series dives into what the American Humane certified label really means. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.
2: Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. We're recording remotely with some friends in Portland, and today is Tuesday, August 25th, 2020. I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host here on Beer Sessions Radio. Give a big shout-out to our, our network, Heritage Radio Network. Join us at org slash donate and become a member. So we're talking with uh, our, our, some friends from Portland, Oregon, uh, one of the craft beer meccas that, that we've all aspired to be be like and um, you know with with Jeff Allworth who uh, we'd had on about a year ago, Jeff, we talked about the Widmer Way and the the craft beer roots uh, of of Portland. so it's great to have you back and thanks for inviting these other guests on
3: Absolutely uh, I really wish I could be there with you. It would be much nicer to be in New York City right now, but uh, great to join you from Portland as well.
2: Yeah, the last time you came, you had quite a trip. You visited a number of breweries, and, and you had a couple of photo shoots at McSorley's, the one of the oldest beer halls in New York City.
3: It's true. Yeah, it was a great trip. You're right, it was about this time. I've been getting uh, updates on Facebook telling me that uh, a year ago I was in New York, and um, yeah, I got to do a walking tour of Brooklyn Breweries one day. That was fantastic. Uh, so yeah, it was a great time.
2: That's great. And let's have uh, the other guests introduce themselves. Paul, if you can introduce yourself.
4: Yeah, how you guys doing? Paul Reiter, uh co-founder, CEO, of Great Notion. Uh, philly, philly born and, and raised. Uh, moved out to Portland 15 years ago. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Love craft beer and thanks for having me on. That's great.
2: And Ben, could, if you can introduce yourself to our listeners.
4: Yeah, my name is Ben Edmonds. I'm brewmaster at
2: Breakside Brewery here in Portland, Oregon. Okay, so Jeff, the last time you were on, we, we talked about your new book, The Widmer Way, and I learned a few things. I, I didn't, I mean, for many of us on the East Coast, we, we see Portland, Oregon as this very, like, to me, I would say, cultured and, and fairly upscale place that many people aspire to. Um, I didn't realize it had such a working class roots. So if, if you guys, if Paul and Ben, I know you're both not from Portland, if you could just tell us what brought you to Portland and kind of the, the origin stories of, of each of your breweries. Sure,
4: yeah, uh, so this is Paul. Um, what brought me to Portland was we, my wife and I were looking to move to the West Coast, and it was cheaper than San Francisco. We had, you know, X amount of wedding money in our pocket, and uh, yeah, thought that our money could go a lot further in Portland. It was, it was quirky and, you know, weird as hell, and great red wine and, and coffee and beer scene, and yeah, people seemed uh, pretty unique and interesting. So that's why we moved here. Origin story of the brewery. Uh, You want the five second version or the or the fifteen minute version? Five five seconds. (laughs) Five seconds. We were founded by three neighbors and friends. We still live on the same block. Five years later, Uh, we we fit like Voltron. You know, I'm the business, finance, sales, marketing type of dude, and um, Andy is uh, three lives three doors down from me. He's he's got the science background and. He, uh, he's in charge of scaling up the beers and quality control and production, and, and James is our artist. He's in charge of recipe uh, creation and, and innovation, and yeah, we we fit together pretty amazingly.
2: That's great. And ben? Ben, you're from Detroit, aren't you?
5: I am from Detroit, yeah. Uh, but I, I have not lived in Michigan for about, oh, 20 years now. Uh, I moved to Portland in 2007 Uh looking to get a start in the craft beer industry. Um, You know, I was sort of the opinion, if you want to be an actor, you move to New York or L.A. If you want to be a brewer, you move to Portland. Uh, And I went to, I was a home brewer, I had gone to the Siebel Institute, gotten my brewing diploma, and the five second version of Breakside is that I uh, met a couple of guys who were planning to open a small brew pub in a uh, new kind of. Uh, further out neighborhood in Portland, and we were going to start a small little basement brewery in uh, 2010, and 10 years later, here we are.
2: Oh, that's great. And, uh, you know, Jeff, the first time I had a, a real Portland show was maybe five or six years ago. Christian de Benedetti, uh brought Travel Portland to New York City, and he brought Occidental, uh, Van from Gigantic, and, and another couple uh, Portland Brewers. Um, what's your take on Portland brewing scene? You know, like the five second version.
3: Uh, now, uh, historically, what, what do you, what do you have in mind?
2: Both, man. You, I want you to talk today. That's what I want. Okay.
3: (laughs) (laughs) All right. I'll I'll have to give you 10 seconds then. Uh, Portland, um, was one of the early craft brew cities. And I think one of the things that's kind of instructive and it really relates to Great Notion is that, um, it's a brew pub town. And a lot of the early breweries, especially uh, this chain called McMenamins, were all based on brew pubs. And so we kind of had a, a pub orientation to craft beer uh, from the start. And, you know, by the time 1990 rolled around, we were already being associated with beer in our own mind and in others. Uh, and so, it, you know, it's a, it's a really mature market here. And you can find beer absolutely everywhere. Every dive bar, gas station uh, uh, cinema, uh <laughs> beer is everywhere. Um, so these two guys that you have on are, are kind of the, uh, maybe, what do you guys think? The third generation? I don't know. Um, sure. you, that makes they, sense. yeah, I think so. Um, so they're, they're sort of the generation that came along. Both of these guys probably, uh, were able to drink craft beer earlier in their life than, than a lot of other, uh, older people, um, kind of knew, had a more mature sense of what beer was like when they got started. And we, we see a lot of this now, like a lot of the hotter breweries in Portland right now are uh, founded by younger guys who are kind of beer natives and have a really sophisticated sense of beer and brewing. Uh, and they bring that to what they're doing both in terms of the kind of beer they're making, but also their business model and, you know, creating differentiated uh, kind of iconic uh, uh, breweries so I would say both of these are great examples of that as well
2: and if you guys want to join in on that you can
4: Paul uh, I just by the way I don't think I've said hi to, to Jeff and Ben yet so what's up guys long time no speak <laughs> hope, hope, you, hope you're doing well <laughs> haven't <laughs> yeah. talked to you in a while in COVID you know we just don't get to see each other that much anymore since no one's supposed to be going out but yeah
3: hey it's true it's true good to, good to talk to you guys
4: yeah and now I'll pass to Ben
3: <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> Uh you know, I think Jeff is the
5: uh, you know the, the preeminent beer historian of the city here. And uh, I, I can't think, I, I don't think I have anything I can add on to that initial assessment. I mean, I do think that we, uh, Breakside that is, we're kind of in this cusp when we opened right between maybe Gen 2, Gen 3. We're kind of, if, if maybe one, a few of the other breweries that were opening, 2007, 8, 9, 10, that era, a lot of those were opened by people who had, Uh, worked in breweries previously, you were seeing that first generation of brewers, um, head brewers who were striking out on their own, and I think that we were one of the earlier breweries where we were seeing this kind of new entrance back into the industry, Um, and that to me is kind of one of the defining features of what we've seen in brewery openings in the last 10 years in the city.
2: Yeah, so Ben, when you first opened, how long did it take you to figure out what styles you were going to sell, you know, just just the the first six to 12 months of your business.
5: Sure. We always have cast what I, I guess I call kind of a big tent approach to brewing. You know, I grew up uh, on craft beer as like kind of being enamored of craft beer and brew pubs where you'd go in and get a menu with 10, 15 different beers on tap. Um, and I always thought that was a really appealing way to... Create a brewery portfolio, and so and part of the fun of brewpubs. And so we did that from day one. We rotated a lot, uh, but our styles were all over the place. We went from pretty experimental stuff to, of course, making IPA, traditional English styles, traditional Belgian styles. I think early on we kind of got a reputation for being uh, more vanguard and experimental. Um, and interestingly, over time, I think we've become viewed more as a traditionalist brewery, uh, but. I would say that we've always done just a while, tried to, again, cast a wide net in what we do. Uh, and at the time, people thought it was kind of crazy. In 2010, 2011, the idea that a small brew pub would turn out 75 or 100 beers in a year was, uh, was kind of unheard of, at least in Portland. And uh, I don't think that we created this trend of rotation by any means, but I think that we were... Kind of early adopters of the sense that consumers wanted new and different in rotation
2: oh that's great and paul for you guys um you know going backwards we just started connecting this summer we were talking about the black is beautiful stout project that you worked on uh just tell us how when you guys first got started some of the hits you had and and just and just how uh i mean you guys have really taken off
4: yeah thanks jimmy yeah we we turned a lot of heads and Uh, media and consumers, everyone thought we were absolutely batshit crazy when we first started because we were, you know, friends with a bunch of beer traders that were sending us Trillium and, and Treehouse and, you know, tired hands and right. So we opened up our first beer we ever brewed was a Hazy IPA and no one ever heard of that in Portland in 2015 and the people that did hear of it. We're, you know, 1% of the beer drinking population here. And I don't know, but people thought we were crazy, that it wouldn't last. And our beers were trashed. They were too cloudy. No one would wanted to drink a cloudy IPA. You know, we're doing it all wrong. And, you know, we we heard all those things the first six months, but it slowly started to catch on and people started, you know, the local media was writing more articles about New England hazy IPAs. And so things, things caught on. And yeah, 20, uh, we opened our, our doors January 1st, 2016 uh, with just like two beers on tap. But, but our goal was not to have flagships either. Our goal was to constantly have new beers. And we eventually came up with like five, we we literally only have five flagships and the rest are just rotating beers. Um, but yeah, so our, our focus is on hazy IPAs and then what we call cu- culinary or culinary inspired sours and stouts and beers that make you close your eyes and think you're eating a fun food dish, like a blueberry muffin, right? Or, uh, you know, pancakes and, and coffee uh, breakfast or a key lime pie. You know, I think we have dropping tomorrow. We have an Almond Joy cake beer, right? Stout dropping on Friday. So there's all these crazy food items. And, and, you know, that stuff's popular now. It's it's nothing new to your listeners or you guys now to hear about pastry stouts or, you know, fruited sour beers. But those are the things that blew us up real quick. And we got to keep these young whippersnappers on their toes, right? And, and keep coming out with more and more hits and, and new stuff. So we're constantly innovating. Our first brew pub that we opened you know, in 2016 is now just our R&D facility. And that's just where we only brew new beers there at Alberta. And then we have a big 30-barrel production facility where any beer that's a hit you know, or that, that scores higher than a 4.0 and untapped or the customers are loving on Instagram and they're snapping pics of, then those are the ones we scale up and, and do at our production facility. That's a little background on us, I guess.
2: Yeah, and I saw on Instagram your new triple stack that that's 12% uh, beer yeah. with a whole photo of pancakes and all that. So. <laughs>
4: it it broke. It broke the internet like that Kim Kardashian pic. Yeah, no that. But that sold out quickly on on our app. Our beers sell out in in literally. If it's a hot drop that people are waiting for, it's it's literally seconds that all the beer gets snapped up and put into people's carts and, and sells out. It's crazy.
2: You know, there's there's one question I want to ask you guys. For, for me, 2014 just seems like that year where where things really changed. And before that, like Jeff said. Portland was a, a, a brew pub town. Even New York, the breweries were just opening, and suddenly it seems like in 2014, not only were there a lot more breweries opening in the country, but but many of you just took off. You know, before it used to be. I mean, Brooklyn Brewery, uh, twenty years ago, said, "Wow, our goal is to, is to make if we can make ten thousand barrels of beer, we we can start paying our bills." Um, who, who wants to talk about just? what happened in 2014 and why things took off why you can have multiple locations you know why i, I still can't believe that that revolution has happened just since 2014.
4: Jeff, Jeff
3: you want to take that Sorry.
2: Yeah that's a Jeff question. <laughs> well
3: uh i don't know is it a Jeff question it seems like that's more of an industry inside focused question um i would love to hear your guys take on that i mean i i uh you know there there's kind of a curve you look at the the explosion that you have in breweries. And it was along that curve, but, um, yeah. Uh, so we have,
4: t- we have our talk. fourth, uh, yeah, we have our fourth, this is Paul. We have our fourth one opening actually, um, this is ooh, top secret, depending on when you release this, no one else might know, but Friday's <laughs> our soft opening for our Seattle location, our first Seattle location. And we have a second in the works that people know about already too, for the fall. So yeah, we'll have five and, um, For us, it's just sticking with our original business model. So it's nothing uh, revelational there because we're just sticking with our plan to sell our beer direct to consumers, right? We never wanted to distribute our beer. We wanted to sell all our beer fresh off the canning line right to customers or, or, you know, fresh out of the bright tanks right to customers. And the the first, I was going to say the only way because it's not true anymore, but the first way, right, came to mind was brew pubs. Have people come to our place, drink our draft beer, and take home a, a case of beer and a t-shirt with them, you know, from the brew pub. And it's a great way to meet your customers, shake their hands, have them feel your whole vibe and experience and story, right? So so for us, that made sense. And Portland's, you know, a, a small city. It's it's not a huge one, and Seattle's very close, and we have people regularly driving down from Seattle to buy our beer, so we thought, why not open a pub up in Seattle, right? So we signed a lease for that and working on that. So for us, that that made sense at the time, although we also started working on an app, and we could talk more about it's just the virtual or digital way to sell beer direct to consumers as well.
2: Great, and Ben for twenty fourteen, how, how did you guys take off so well?
5: It's a really good question. I, I don't. I've been thinking while the other guys were chatting about uh, what happened between twenty ten and twenty fourteen in the marketplace, and I, I don't. I think there's a lot of little things that fell into place. I think you saw a huge expansion of in Portland at least of. Uh, draft lines that were available. You saw all these kind of, there was this whole growler phase that everything went. everyone went through, right? And restaurants and bars suddenly went from having three taps to <clears throat> having 15 taps. And entire beer bars devoted to draft-only beers and growler-to-go beers, crowler beers. Um, and I think there was just this huge opening up of the market. I think you also saw a number of wholesalers kind of retrench a little bit from some older approaches to selling beer in the market and focusing more on draft, focusing more on small accounts. Um, And it all kind of dovetailed with growing consumer interest. Um, I I don't think that in 2010, in Portland, we thought the pie could get that much larger, but sure enough, it it did in that four or five year period.
2: Yeah. And for me, 2014 stands out because in New York, that's when... um, those smaller microbreweries could start uh selling beer pints in their tap rooms which which wasn't possible before so we saw that here for sure um yeah i I think that's when other
4: half started right 2014 yeah uh,
2: other half was actually the, the model i was thinking of because again before that you you would have been a new brewery you would have been doing the same old thing which was trying to sell kegs uh you know to to bars and restaurants to build your name and um you know that then suddenly you could have a tap room and you, and cans, of course, were part of it. But I want to jump, I want to jump to the next subject to Jeff. Again, the essence of Portland, um, cause we've talked about the, we've kind of followed the arc of, of craft beer on the show for 10 years, but the essence of Portland, you know, Paul said, you know, there was good wine, there was good coffee. Um, wh- what about like hops and, and just access to other ingredients in Oregon?
3: Yeah, that's a, A really big deal, and I think people outside the region probably under wouldn't imagine what a big influence it was. But here in Oregon, we have uh, the local hops. uh, uh, The Willamette Valley is about an hour south of us. Yakima is about two hours away. So we have hops here. Um, There's a malt house, one of the old malt houses uh, that. Was making malt way before craft brewing came along. It's across the river in Vancouver, just a few minutes from Portland, and the uh, USDA USDA research uh, hops research facility is down in Corvallis at the at Oregon State University. So you know a number of the early hops bear that uh, uh, mark too. Cascade, uh, Willamette, which is the valley we're in, uh, Mount Hood is another early hop. These are these are hops that were developed here in Oregon. Uh, so, you know, from a very early, uh, time, people were kind of focused on beer here. And in fact, up and up through the 1970s, there were a number of breweries, not just, uh, Henry Winehards, which was in downtown Portland and Rainier, which was in Seattle, but there was Olympia, Lucky Lager, um, a few other, uh, little local guys in between Portland and Seattle. So it was an incredibly beer saturated place. And, um, a lot of people... Pub culture never really died out, particularly in Portland. Um, urban planning, starting in the 1960s, allowed the inner core not to be hollowed out. So there were a lot of little uh, neighborhood pubs left. Um, and this, was be- this these were all kind of the precursor events before uh, craft beer came along. So when it did come along, we were kind of positioned to really take advantage in a way that other cities wouldn't necessarily have done um, by having our brewers connect with malt houses and hop growers and, uh, researchers, all that stuff really informed the industry.
2: That's great. And Ben, uh, your post about the hop selection kind of made me think about that. Um, I had never realized just how close the hop fields and everything else were to Portland. Um, so you were just doing hop selection tell us about that, how your team's involved, what that means for your planning and, and other aspects of your brewery every
5: year. Yeah, hop selection is, to us, one of the most important times of the year because we contract almost all of our hops through different brokers and farmers, uh, both in Willamette Valley and in Yakima, up in Washington, as well as uh, in New Zealand, Australia, and Germany. And what we go up during harvest for, and this year it's kind of a hodgepodge of in-person and uh, remote selection, but is lot selection where you're, you know, basically selecting from a series of lots that are put in front of you of those different varietals. Um, And you get to rub them and inspect them and kind of make a decision as to how you want to have that, uh, which lot you want and what you want to work with for the next year. And it's, um, it's, in my mind, it's absolutely essential to have really high quality hops if you're going to be making uh, high quality aromatic hop forward American beers these days. Uh, There's no way you can work with bad hops and end up with great beer in my mind.
2: And I think you asked on your Instagram, uh, you know, what's on your hop radar this year? Are there any, any hops that are standing out for you?
5: Well, the hop, I think, that is on a lot of people's minds, and I'm having a beer that is heavy on this right now, is, is Strata. Um, so Strata is a hop that was developed here in Oregon. Uh, by indie hops and is now being grown in Oregon and Washington. This will be the first year where I think it gets really uh, wide, more widely available. It's been limited availability um, compared, for example, to Citra, uh, you know, which is probably the hop where mosaic we contract the most. We probably get maybe a third as much strata right now, and that's just based on acreage. Um, but it is, to me, it has a lot of the amazing kind of blueberry and mango notes of mosaic. It's a little bit onion garlicky and has that kind of savory note to it, but it's not as overpowering as uh, some hops can be on that front. It's just really fruity and bright. And I think it's really the first hop to come along uh, in a while that's going to kind of break into that uh, holy trinity of Simcoe mosaic and citra. I think that Strata is going to take its place on the, the Mount Rushmore of contemporary American hops pretty quickly
2: and so what beer are you drinking right now ben
5: uh this is a beer called wander jack it's a collaboration we did with uh barley brown's beer out of baker city it's part of our 10th anniversary collaboration so it's a west coast ipa with uh strata mosaic and simcoe and azaka
2: well that sounds great and paul uh you know back when you came to portland you got inspired you said you there was good coffee there was good wine um are you still inspired by Portland? And, and, you know, Jeff was talking about time travel. Where, where do you see things are going to be next year in 2021?
4: Great question, man. I, without going political and COVID, it just, it really depends, right. What happens with, with COVID-19 and also with the election and and we won't go there, but yeah, I I think that's really going to decide how 2021 works out. Right. And I'll, I'll just leave it at that for, for this podcast. Um, But Maybe, maybe talk about hops, right, Or a little more exciting conversation than yeah, that. Sure. Uh, yeah, sure. We, yeah, and we love Strata. We're, our biggest contracts are Citra, Mosaic, uh, Galaxy, uh, Motueka, and Nelson Sauvin, right, but uh, there's one or two new ones. I'm sure a lot of people have tasted a Sabro beer. They're, that's a, still a great, you know, newer hop that, that we've been playing around with a lot lately. There's a Lotus hop that we've been playing around with lately that's also really nice. We did a beer called Bluminous with that, and I think we're gonna try to experiment a little further with that one as well. Uh, then the cool new like hop products, right? Like the hop oils, we're we're still experimenting with some of them as well. But um, yeah, so those are those are of course some some hop conversations, and I know we talked a little bit about hop selection, but fresh hops are such an important thing here too, right? And uh, you know. We're, we we all right breakside definitely brew fresh hop beers we we have one or two a year and we're just always so excited for that experience that the fact that we live 45 minutes away from these amazing hop farms you know you bring your whole i think we're closing down uh, the brew house early one day getting the whole t- actually we're skipping the whole day yeah it's it, in a week or so we're t- bringing the whole team down right uh, 45 minutes away 15 people getting in different socially distanced cars or, or whatever that we're exactly doing i haven't figured <laughs> that part out yet right but you you get out to the farm right you smell the hops rub the hops see how they're all uh pressed and packaged and and made beautiful so that we can put them in some beer and uh it's just a real fun day to get the brewers or especially some of the new guys that we've never brought down there yet and then um there's different ways to do your fresh hop beers right some people put it uh you know, in, on the hot side, some on the cold side, some, you know, strictly in the bright tank for a long period of time. Right? Lots of different ways to do your fresh hop beers. And, and we still like to play around with ours in, in different ways every year. I think we nailed it last year, but each year we try to think of a new, better way to do it. But it's just such a fun day and a fun experience. And we have different festivals normally this time of year for fresh hop festivals. Right, I'm sure Ben and Jeff can talk more about those. Um, probably won't see any of those this year, but it's just it's definitely an integral part of the beer scene here in Portland.
2: Well, when I, when I think of uh, fresh hop beers in the fall, to me that defines, for American uh, beers in fall, that defines it a lot more than Oktoberfest style. Um, mm-hmm. w- Paul, where, when and where will your fresh hop beers be released?
4: Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I, I don't have the exact date without clicking around on my calendar, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it's the first or second week of September we're doing fresh hop ripe. And I don't know if we're doing Fresh Hop Junior this year, but ripe Ripe's a flagship IPA for us, all Citra. It won Pace Magazine's number one IPA in the country uh, two years ago. And so we it, that's been a fan favorite, doing the Fresh Hop version of that one.
2: Great. And Ben, are, are, you guys are also doing Fresh Hop beer?
4: Yeah, we do a bunch. We've got,
5: uh, I want to say, eight or nine Fresh Hop beers coming out this year. Uh, awesome, starting uh, next, gosh, the first one will be... Probably about a week from now, we got uh, we're getting some fresh uh, strata actually on this Thursday. <laughs> I had to think about that for a Sweet. second. Two days from now, I'll be down at the Dude, farm. how do you
4: time all those Ben? That's a nightmare. Well, we
5: we, we do them cold side, so that <laughs> makes it a little bit easier, right? You're not mm-hmm. holding your brew house open. You're not holding your tanks open. So right, right. yeah, we've uh, we we settled a few years ago on this technique that I really like, which is. Uh, we use liquid nitrogen to flash-freeze all the fresh hops and then shatter them open uh, with cool. some soil tampers. And we add that then as kind of a second dry hop to the beers or third dry hop sometimes. Uh, but, you know, it's, they're still fresh hops. But they've never uh, – they're still wet, but they, they're, they're unfrozen again by the time they end up in the beer. Um, it adds this really cool varietal-specific character. You get a lot less – Vegetal character from it. And you still get a lot of that resin and mouth feel that I think is the hallmark of really, uh, really nicely made fresh hop beers.
3: Yeah. Can I, Jimmy, can I jump in here? Sure. Uh, the, this is one of my favorite things, uh, about living in the Northwest. And it's something that I think a lot of people don't really fully appreciate is the fresh hop season. It is one of the coolest things in beer anywhere in the world. And I would encourage people to come either to Portland or Seattle, uh, in, from mid September to mid October to check it out uh, not during covid but any any other year uh, most breweries will make at least one of these guys and many like breakside will make multiple versions and they start appearing on draft um you know late august uh, through october as the hops come in and they produce fresh hops So when we say fresh hops, we mean hops that haven't been dried out. They are plucked from the vine, uh, taken from the field, and put immediately in the beer. So they don't go through this drying process. And what that does is the same thing if you think of basil, for example, the difference between fresh basil and dried basil. It actually, when you dry uh, an herb, it will change the chemical compounds in it, and it will express different flavors and aromas. So when you use fresh hops, you get all these different uh, flavors and aromas than you get Uh, when you, when you use conventional hops. So for this brief period of time, these beers start popping out and, uh, people like me go out and it's like a, a bacchanal of, of IPA. Uh, and we keep trying to find these, you know, it's like you're, you're looking for the white whale. You're looking for the one that is just at its moment of perfection. Like it just went in the, uh, the keg and you got there at the right moment and it's perfectly fresh. Um, and it when you get one of those it's it's a sublime experience and it's unlike any other kind of beer so i i would love more and more people to be able to come to uh either portland or seattle somewhere in the northwest where there are dozens of these examples and and give it a shot it is if you love hops this is this is unparalleled experience in drinking beer
5: what's interesting about it too if 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 i may is that it's the one time of year where we actually see people consume more beer at our pubs like Rest of the year, we can change the tap list. We can do whatever. But the average customer that comes in, and this is of course outside of our current pandemic, but it's going to sit down and have 1.3 beers during their visit. Fresh hop season is the one time of year where that number actually basically doubles. There's such a sense of uh, kind of customers know how short lived and uh, and ephemeral these beers are, and and they want to they they want to get in this real. Uh, fomo abounds in the northwest around uh missing out on fresh hot beers so it's an exciting time of year for for consumers and for
4: brewers too dude yeah it's it, it we also can talk to you i'm sure ben jeff and myself can all talk to you about our hood strawberry season it's the exact same thing right? <laughs> <laughs> so when's that paul when's the hood strawberry season I think it's the first week of June. Sorry, what is it? It's, it's like there's literally a two-week period to get the best strawberries in the world here in Portland. Yeah, yeah we, we only make
5: know, uh, one maybe. strawberry beer a year, <laughs> and it, it's always time it right with that. Because oh, frankly, go, most of the time, strawberry <laughs> beers aren't worth making the rest of the year. Uh, but yeah, that that those hood strawberries and seascapes that come out in the last week of May, first week of June, are just out of this world.
3: They're not well uh, designed for putting in the uh, supermarket chain. They, they're really fresh and very gentle, and sometimes they'll even the weight will begin to crush the ones at the bottom of, yeah, of, of, a, of a flat. So you've got to get them fresh, and they're, they're insane.
4: Literally the best fruit in the world, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: And, and so, Ben, what beer are you making with those hood strawberries?
5: Oh, we make a couple uh, different strawberry beers that we have. Uh, this year we made one called Strawberry Rhubarb Pie, uh, which is kind of what it sounds like. It's meant to be kind of a pastry uh, pastry beer with strawberries and, and fresh rhubarb.
4: Damn, I missed that one.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, I'm a traditionalist. For me, I, I, years ago at my old pub in New York City, I, I would track down whatever fresh hop beers I could get, and I never got a chance to ask anyone how long they would last because the beers never lasted. Like you're saying, people right. drank them down right away. But yeah. how long would you keep a fresh hot beer? Let's say you could sit on it. Would you? I mean, I I wouldn't sit on it.
4: But no, we'd probably dump it in a month at the latest. We we try to get all our IPAs out the door in three weeks. Yeah, I'm I'm with Paul on this. I think that
5: after thirty days, that those beers are are probably not really living up to what they what they once were. Um, that said, it's interesting. Sometimes I feel like a fresh hot beer on day the first week will smell like pepperoni pizza you know like weird mm-hmm. oregano thing and then a week later it blooms into this beautiful like mango pineapple bomb so they go through a really volatile life cycle and what to jeff's point you know with fresh hot beers you're waiting you if you sort of know that's the case and you hope that when you get find it on tap it's in that window of like of excellence um because sometimes it's exactly when they go on tap and sometimes it's a week later who knows
2: Wow, that's great. Hey, we're off to a great start. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right.
1: I'm Lisa Held, a food journalist and podcast host, presenting... Behind the Label with American Humane. Produced by Heritage Radio Network for Springer Mountain Farms, this podcast series dives into what the American Humane Certified Label really means. We're looking inside the farm certification process, beginning with the moment a farmer expresses interest in becoming American Humane Certified, all the way to a consumer seeing the seal on store shelves. And American Humane is our country's first national humane organization founded way back in 1877. Now, we certify nearly 1 billion farm animals each and every year. Despite that growth, uh, roughly 90% of U.S. farm animals are still raised without the benefit of independently verified science-based standards. Subscribe to Behind the Label with American Humane wherever you listen to podcasts.
2: Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Check us out, heritageradionetwork.org. Become a member, heritageradionetwork.org. So I got Jeff Alworth and his Portland PDX crew. There's such a myth about Portland, you know, chef friends and and TV shows, but it sounds like you guys are getting, you know, giving me a real sense of it from coffee to, to red wine, but I like this fresh hops. Hood strawberries. I mean, to me, that that's the agricultural root of beer. That 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 means a lot to me. And I, and I do think that uh, fresh hop beer season is the American Oktoberfest, and uh, I, I I love seeing that. So for you guys, for Paul and Ben, um, what are some like, East Coast uh, beers like IPAs that that you guys look to in Portland, or do you guys even get like East Coast beers in Portland? Yeah, I mean, I
4: i guess some of them are, are distributed we have you know cool distributor friend of ours robbie from day one brings in a lot of the cool hip breweries from the east coast but again a lot of our friends were traders and we're also just friends with a lot of east coast brewery net breweries now and we might ship packages back and forth just some of my favorites are still some of the people we are had already named earlier um i don't know who i said trillium treehouse right uh other other half we've done a bunch of beers with there's our there's our homies out of new york equilibrium out of new York right? Um, tired Hands has alien Church. That's great. But yeah, Equilibrium was probably my favorite IPAs right now from the East Coast, to be honest. Well,
5: that's great. And I've uh, always been a huge fan of the, the beers that Finback makes. Those guys, I think, uh, well, were some awesome. of the IPAs that, Hazy IPAs, New England IPAs, East Coast IPAs, whatever, whatever uh, nomenclature you prefer. Those guys uh, were ones who kind of hooked me early on and really opened my eyes to what that style could be.
2: Oh, that's great. So let's go, Jeff. I want to go back to you. So uh, I, I feel like you're getting a little heavy on your blog, Birvana, these days. Uh, but a, <laughs> a, a bright spot you wrote about time, time travel and the Umbrella Academy. Uh, <laughs> if, you, if you had to take us back in time, where would you take us to right now uh, to Birvana good times?
3: Well, a year ago would be fine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> any anything that's not COVID, I've been writing about uh, COVID. Actually, I haven't been writing about it so much as having other brewers write about it and their experiences. And you know, I mean it. It is a it is a kind of a grim time. Although, on the other hand, we haven't lost very many breweries. So I have to say, um, five months ago when this started, I would not have guessed that uh, breweries would have survived this well. So. That's good. That's a hopeful note, and um, I, you know, I, I'm I'm curious uh, to hear how you guys are doing. I I, I know that uh, uh, we're not likely to get out of this anytime soon, and so uh, you know, you, this probably scrambled some business models. If you're <laughs> if you're opening brew pubs, Paul, that seems like uh, must must have made you wake up in the middle of the night with a few uh, sweaty moments.
4: Yeah, well, I'm sorry, I didn't, I haven't chimed in on the, on, on your, um, sorry, your blog, there <laughs> or those questions just because I, I feel bad because I, I know there's so many other people that aren't doing as, as well as Great Notion right now. Um, but yeah, I think, I mean, we just stuck with a plan that we laid out a, a year prior to COVID. And luckily, it, it worked out for us with the app.
2: So Paul, tell us, just uh, tell us about the app since we're talking about, were you planning the app before COVID? Or is this an adaptation Co-
4: Correct. A year prior, so our business model, just to restate again, right? We we want to sell our beer direct to beer drinkers, right? To keep it the freshest way as possible, get to meet the customers, get the experience. We're also not paying a distributor, you know, a third of the profits just to drive our beer to a bottle shop down the street, right? And uh, so yeah, so to stick with that business model, we could either keep opening brew pubs, and then you got to take out half a million dollar loans for construction and. and real estate and you know kitchen equipment and drafts and new cooler and all that other good stuff or we thought why not sell the beer online or can can we have customers pay early and pick it up can we ship it to them are we allowed to do that right and when this pandemic started shortly after uh, everyone started talking about shipping beer we had actually looked into it a year prior and already found out we could do that in Oregon and we already signed signed up with um uh the, our OLCC that paperwork had already existed and we got it first right but we but we were um a little delayed on rolling out our app so we had a year prior to covid started looking into rolling out an actual badass mobile app you know one that looked and felt like nike right or adidas or supreme or just one of these really killer consumer uh, retail store kind of apps and so we started putting money into the design and the rollout of it and or, or the development of it and uh you know lots of other people finally got an app rolled out or not finally but earlier than us uh, which was cool. They just turned on their local, their POS system like Square or Toast or whatever, you know, and just made it like a a boring little website where you where you can buy beer and no offense to any other brewery listening to that. It's just not what we want. It's not what we planned. Because we have these badass illustrations on the front of our cans with, you know, award-winning designer Chatty. And it's just really cool artwork. And we have these characters and stories that actually have origin stories to them, like comic book characters, and it's this whole world. And you know, I had I had written a whole. I want to come out with comic books for this, and video games, and all this stuff, right? So we had started that a while ago, and and started turning it into a virtual version of Great Notion. And so the app launched, I think, in April. And you know, we've uh, every week we have three to five beers drop on our app, just like if any of you ever used the Nike app, right? Or Adidas, you know, you can get an alert that a new beer is going to drop, and you know, it's at nine a.m. on Wednesday or Friday, whatever, and you get on your phone and if you buy the beer you, you get it right and then you have two days to come pick it up and you know i don't know but that's kind of how it works you can come pick it up or we can deliver it to you locally and we've been talking about rolling shipping out forever we just literally don't have the inventory because we just don't have enough tanks we can't make enough beer uh so that's why shipping's delayed yet again but so so paul um, if,
2: if i'm on your yeah. app and i get to buy a beer and i don't come in the two days to pick it up what happens do i get a bad score
4: Uh, yeah, you get a bad score. No, we refund (laughs) you. Uh, and then we just resell the beer, uh, the next day. We, we tell people we're going to charge a restocking fee, but we haven't done that yet. But we can. We, we reserve the right to do that. But yeah, there are points. And so, uh, the newest version of the app lets you check in beers, like on Taft, and share it right to Instagram. Uh, but the next version that's coming out in about three weeks is going to have augmented reality. We have three of our characters that you can, you know, put on the table in front of you, right next to your beer. And there's a really cool video game. It's kind of like a Frogger, but with our female lumberjack character, Superstar, uh, climbing up a tree and avoiding things on the tree.
2: So, uh, let me get you. Jeff. Have you have you checked out their app yet, or?
3: I checked it out when it first dropped, and I confess I have not uh, checked it out since then. So, this well, is new going to be a short new answer. version <laughs>
4: new version came out yesterday on an iPhone right. and Android.
2: So that's going to be Jeff's time your time travel of twenty twenty one. We're going to be we're going to be just sitting on Great Notions app all the time. Yeah, it getting like our it. beer sent in. And uh, what about for you, Ben? Uh, what what have have you adapted at all to COVID? Are you, are you canning anything? Doing anything different that you weren't doing before?
5: Yeah, we we were a pretty heavy draft brewery. I mean, we were uh, you know, we a thirty thousand barrel brewery, and we were doing seventy percent of that on draft in uh, you know as of February twenty nineteen. It's twenty twenty, and uh, so we had long been planning an expansion, and uh, you know, still are planning an expansion, new facility, and been hoping to wait to get into cans when we built that because our current production facility is just kind of maxed out with cellar tanks and our bottling line and um, you know it's just a little it was it was just kind of going to be tough to squeeze it in but uh, we you know when COVID hit it became apparent that we really needed to make this move so we've been shuffling our entire cellar uh, we've really if you were if you've known what our brewery looks like it looks very different right now because we're about to drop a New canning line right in the middle of the brewery, uh, and that should be online next month. And we've started rolling out our uh, core brands, our flagship IPAs uh, in sixteen ounce cans. Uh, so those are hitting the market uh, as of last week, just to sort of soft launch them before our own uh, our own lineup hits or our own line is, on, is, is up and running.
2: Well, that's great, and, and Jeff, you know uh, when we were talking about the show, you we'd already talked to Paul from Great Notion, but you recommended uh, Ben and Breakside. Um, why did you recommend Breakside?
3: Uh, well, you, when we first spoke, we talked about, um, the, where IPAs are, what's happening in Portland with IPAs, which I think is an important discussion. Um, we've been making IPAs here for, I don't know, 30, 40 years, and they've evolved over time. So for, for my mind, uh, I think both Great Notion and Breakside are probably the two first breweries to talk to. They have a different approach. They're kind of looking at uh, selling different kinds of beers, but uh, they're both two breweries that are really experimenting with the form, uh, figuring out not just ingredient but process. And Breakside is one of the most interesting breweries in that they found when they founded their third uh, brewery in the Slabtown Port, uh, part of Portland. They made it. they developed, they they use it as kind of an IPA laboratory. So it's where uh, all their hoppy beers are kind of tested and and developed. And Ben should talk about the way that uh, he designed that brewery so that it would be, you know, totally optimized for making hoppy beers. Which, you know, as a guy who writes about beer from around the world and has seen breweries from around the world, um, I'm always fascinated to see how brewery design is is affected by the tradition and the culture of the beer being made and that's very much the case in the united states now there's a kind of a an american kit that does various things that you would never see in bavaria uh, or um, brussels so uh, ben uh, was one of the earlier uh, leaders of the kind of current phase of IPAs, and I'll I'll pass it over to him. He I should say he he may not blow his own horn, but um, Breakside won the GABF uh, gold medal in uh, IPAs. I'm going to say 2014, 2015, something like that. Ben, uh, we won gold in
5: 14. Yeah,
3: yeah. So that kind of was this watershed moment when Breakside. Uh, it had been evolving, and then I think everybody in Portland looked to Breakside uh, for their IPA needs. And
4: yeah, Breakside IPA is literally all we drank as me, James, and Andy planned our brewery <laughs> for a year.
3: <laughs> yeah.
4: And then you guys decided, you're
5: like, we don't want to do this West Coast thing. We're going to go <laughs> We said, how
4: are we going to beat these guys? we got to do something
5: different. Yeah. <laughs> So Ben, you you wanted to yeah I uh, I gosh I'm, go very, yeah. I'm very flattered right now so I'm uh, I don't know what to say uh, I think that we yeah you know hop forward beers have just been something that as a brewing team and you know that we've been enthused by our customers have been enthused by um, you know we never on when we opened Breakside like I said we our goal was always to be kind of a jack of all trades. We did, we're going to do lagers and barrel-aged beers and mixed firm beers and hoppy beers and never imagined that we would, you know, emerge kind of as uh, leaders and vanguards in in American hoppy beers. And it's just, you know, that's, it's funny how that's ended up happening. Um, And I love it because I love working with those uh, raw materials. I love working with farmers and the hop brokers. Uh, I love the conversations you get to have with, Peers across the country and locally who are making. We're also, you know, really excited by the um, innovation and, and new discoveries going on in hops. Uh, that you know, this last decade of hop research has probably done more for our understanding of how to work with hops in a way that's new and 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 coaxes out these amazing characters of them than had ever been done before. Um, so. Yeah, we built a brew pub in 2017. It was our third location. We wanted to add another uh, R&D facility and uh, kind of designed it to really uh, be able to do whatever we wanted with hops there. And, I mean, I, I don't need to nerd out on whirlpool inlets and uh, you know uh, dry hop port size and things like that, but that's kind of the stuff that we were focusing on.
2: And would you agree with Jeff? You called that the American kit for, for IPA making? I do. I mean, what is that? I,
5: I think that's a in a, a nice way of putting it. Yeah, I mean, I do think that there's this like, uh, you know, if you go into a German brewery and a Bavarian brewery, everything about it is optimized either for making lager or for making Weiss beer. And up until the five years ago, I think in the U.S. we sort of settled for these uh, variations on German or English brew houses and cellars and. American brewers have just, are just making different beers than those uh, other national traditions are oriented around. And I think having technology and having equipment that's kind of designed to optimize what we want to do is, uh, as American brewers, American hot four brewers, is, is a logical next step.
2: Yeah, I remember like 10 years ago in, in, in New York, the Six Point Brewery, as they were growing, they had to modify all their recipes into German recipes because they were brewing at a larger facility, so their American wheat had to be a a Hefeweizen, for example. So um, it's come a long way, obviously. Um, Let's just jump it again, playing off of what Jeff's been writing about. Jeff, um, you recently had a a talk with a number of uh, state Brewers Guild uh, people. Um, Tell us about the Oregon Brewers Guild and, and how important that's been not just for COVID, but for the, for the for the growth of craft beer in your state.
3: Yeah, it's I mean it's been pretty big uh, going going back even probably before it was officially the Brewers Guild uh, back in the mid '80s when the first uh, Oregon brewers were trying to figure out how to uh, serve beer from their pubs or have a pub in their brewery. They had to change the law. And so they banded together and started working uh, with the legislature and they had to fight the uh, the beer distributor lobby. There was a powerful guy named Paul Romain who didn't – they didn't think this was going to be so cool uh, to have these little guys having this advantage. Um, so they learned pretty early on to band – if they banded together, uh, they were stronger together And instead of seeing each other as rivals. And I think that spirit really continues uh, – it, it, there is a a real, uh, I mean, I think you can hear it just in listening to Ben and Paul talk. Um, the Brewers here is a small town. We have a lot of breweries. So there's, uh, you know, these guys are seeing each other all the time. And uh, they, they communicate and they share each other's ideas. And uh, I think they are, it's weird, they are actually in, in competition in one way. And uh, in 2019, we saw a number of breweries actually go out of business here because competition is pretty tough. Um, but on the other hand, uh, they have they have worked together very well. And the Brewers Guild has been kind of a a great organization that has helped them uh, on the political side, on the regulatory side. Um, they've done things like uh, support this fresh hop thing. They, it's under the auspices of the Brewers Guild that uh, one of the big fresh hop festivals happens in town. Um, back in the early aughts, uh, they started a thing uh, where they did a, uh, a thing called Cheers to Belgian beers, where all the brewers would make a beer out of the same yeast. So they, they've they've supported both, all these different areas: the development, uh, information sharing, and um, political and regulatory stuff. So I think I think it's been a pretty powerful group, uh, it was one of the strongest Brewer's Guilds early on, and I think formed a model when other states were looking to see what they could do with with Brewer's Guilds.
2: And and Paul, tell us, you know, for you, when you guys were opening and growing, um, how how has this played in? The the Brewer's Guild, state regulations, um, I don't know what you want to talk about, (laughs)
4: Sure. Yeah. I, I think we have a friendly, tight knit community and people like Ben and um, I don't know, we met with probably at least like five or six breweries before we opened Great Notion and people were kind enough to sit down with us for an hour and give us all the hurdles. Or my biggest question was, what would you have done differently if you can do it again when you opened up? You know, and um, people like the Commons who unfortunately are no longer here or uh, there was, uh, uh, who else? Migration helped us. Uh, Fatheads helped us, right. You know, Ben and Frakes had helped us a lot of Burry Stormbreaker. A ton of them would sit down with us and give us two hours of their time, you know, and, uh, it was just very colloquial, colloquial and friendly and people provided tons of advice. So that was such a huge help. Right. And, um, we got to know a lot of suppliers also through being with the beverage, you know, industry networking group. And it's where, uh, there's, there's an accountant that'll help you and insurance rep that'll help you, you know, Jason and, and, Everyone's pretty awesome, real estate people that helped us find a place, you know, right off the bat. And it was just great. It was super uh, arm opening to us with great big hugs. Everyone welcomed, welcomed us at the beginning. And then of course they found out what kind of beer they were making and things changed a little. <laughs> nah, <laughs> just, just just joking, just joking. Everyone was super friendly and to this day, you know, we still do tons of collaborations with locals. And Ben, we've talked about doing a collaboration with a hundred times. Unfortunately, we've yeah, we're, we're never long done it yet, but um, point, yeah, right? everyone <laughs> regularly collaborates, yeah. Yeah, it's super friendly, man. And I even just started a local, I was trying to get the Brewers Guild to do it. They haven't, I, for a couple uh, sensitivity reasons, I think there were certain people on the board that didn't want to do it. But either way, uh, Ben, I have to be friends with you and invite you. But yeah, I just started a local brewery, like Facebook group too. So we could, you know, someone could put up a question like, hey, who, you know, is anyone selling whatever candy line or, hey, does anyone have a spare 44 pound box of citra or whatever, you know, but it's it's just really friendly, man.
2: That's great. And Jeff, one more thing. I know you, you're doing a survey right now of the industry. Um, are, are you getting any results from that? Because I I thought it was it, the questions themselves were very helpful. Um, and I think we all need some you know direction.
3: Yeah. Well, it was actually a survey about my uh, the readers of the blog, and you know it's interesting. Um, I think. I I did this thing 2 years ago and uh I was aware of the deficiencies of diversity in beer at the time but it wasn't top of mind and watching these results come in and seeing how uh white and male <laughs> my readers are uh which I think really reflects what's happening in craft beer made me uh you know just it it reminded me again uh in this moment in 2020 that we have a lot of work to do and i as a writer need to do more to uh present information and and uh stories that are relevant to people who are not white men um so i yeah that's that's what i've discovered uh it's it's still a young group which is also hopeful but um but uh, a little bit maybe too white and male
4: yeah we're about we're about to launch a bipoc leadership program um in probably about two more months I'm still working on all the details. Uh but just along those lines. We definitely want to make beer more inclusive here in Portland and specifically at Great Ocean too.
2: Great. And that that's how I found you Paul. I know you were you made a Black is beautiful stout.
4: Uh definitely. Yeah, we had uh talked with Marcus about making a collaboration too be before all this happened. Uh but it was it was nice to to get that out there. And we we're one of the first people to actually post about uh, what went down that we were donating money towards racial injustice here in Portland and uh yeah I don't know so we recently just donated 18 grand towards a great local nonprofit uh, Black Resilience Fund That's
2: great. And uh Ben is there anything else you want to say any topic before we close out? Oh nothing in particular no. Uh, this has been great. Well listen, I want to thank you guys so much for joining me here. And I, I did not I'll say what we were drinking. I'm drinking uh for threes brewing in New York, the kicking and screaming which is the food or pills which right now has become my my summer pills here, um, so it's been really great. You guys really appreciate it. Um, you know, there's so much to learn about Portland, and, and I know we'll talk to you guys again. And, and Jeff, as always, um, keep, keep writing, man. Because when I'm on Twitter, when when I want to read about beer, I go to Birvana blog, and I, I really want to give you I want to give <laughs> you credit for that. And um, you know, some of the stories we've talked about, what came first. Uh, bread or beer i i still use that question uh, and and i still love all the things that you're doing so thank you so much all right thank you and i want to give a big shout out to so it's jeff and paul and ben big shout out to our producer and 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 uh, engineer here uh dylan hoyer thank you so much dylan and thanks to our head engineer matt patterson uh, we've been doing this remotely now for five going on six months and we're getting to talk to friends like you guys in portland and and we'll have a show next week we'll be talking to pete Pete Brown from London, UK. So uh, we're trying. all trying to make the most of, of the pandemic. And uh, I'm, I'm glad that you guys are going forward and, and really uh, keeping us interested in beer. So thank you so much. And we'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right, guys. Woo! Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter,